theyeshiva.net. So the salvation was the beginning of Perigimel, Hashem Alekech Eish Oichlehu. The nature of fire is that it consumes. It cannot sit still, still, and uh, not consume. In other words, it's not enough for a fire to be held down by some flammable material, but the material has to, actually has to be consumed by the flame. I, it cannot remain indifferent, detached, and passive. For the fire to exist, it has to be consumed. The, the, the item, the material has to be consumed. Hashem alakecha eish means that for Hashem to exist in something, the person has to become fully attached, fully connected, fully one. To have a divine experience, I cannot remain in my own space, untouched, unscathed. If you want to have a relationship with a fire, you could stay far away and enjoy the fire from a distance. But if you want to taste the fire, you want to experience the fire, so physically, the person goes into the fire and they become the fire. Spiritually speaking, it would mean that when you're dealing with Hashem Alekecha, what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is, If it's an experience of Hashem, it's all-encompassing. It must consume. Consume here means... Oh, yeah. I don't know what you have. Okay, yeah, I found that. Found yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks. You can take it. It's, uh, it's, it's Hashem Alekecha Eish. So that's what he says, that when we speak about these three things, of Torah, Tefillah, and Zedakah, Machshav, Adibur, Amayisib, Brasav, Yitzartev, Afasisiv. So the Eir Hashem is not Nechaz Yafa, V'shoyne B'nefesh Adam. A person could learn Torah, a person could daven, a person could give staka, but they still remain detached. Bittel Ratzin, a Kloisan Baruch means that their desire, their heart, their soul is completely present. It complete, becomes completely one. And that's where the Jew comes in. It's not just the Torah and the mitzvahs. The Eir Hashem, to come into the world, comes in through Torah and mitzvahs by the Jew, through the Jew. The Pasuk in Tehillim says, Edus, his Edus, which is his mitzvahs, he established in Jacob, and the Torah he placed in Yisrael. So first of all, the Diyuk here is Yaakov and Yisrael. But the general principle that the Pasuk is conveying is, what gives the Torah and mitzvah significance is that the Jew is learning it. That the Jew is doing the mitzvahs. Ki Yaakov Yisrael Yaakov and Yisrael represents two models of the Jew. Yaakov means a heel, Ekev. Yisrael means a head. Yisrael, Li Roish is Yisrael. Li Roish, my head. Or Rashi says Yisrael is from the word Sar. Sarisei melekim veimanashem. You have fought, you have prevailed, you're a minister, you're a prince. There are two states in which the Jew serves God. One is a state of Iskafia, one is a state of Ishapcha. One is a state of Yaakov, one is a state of Israel. The difference is Iskafia means subjugation, Ishapcha means transformation. Iskafia comes from the word Kaifin we compel him. Ishapcha comes from the word Venapechu, Lahapech, to transform. There's two states of a person. One is a state of Iskafia, Iskafia means I don't want to, but I do it anyway. Why? Because I submit my instinct or my habits or my addiction or my cravings to my value. 
and therefore I do it regardless of my emotion at the moment or my thoughts at the moment. Ishapcha means I actually transform myself. It's a whole different state of identity. Yaakov is the Pchin of Iskafia, which would be, so relatively speaking, a lower state. And Ishapcha, which is a much higher state, is Yisrael. In one, the person is, Yaakov is intermingled with Esav. And because he's intermingled with Esav, if he waits until all everything is clear in his life, he may have to wait forever. So at this moment, he has to do Iskafia. And then Yisrael is, he's completely liberated from Esav. He retains his own identity, his own pristine identity. He becomes a sar. He's a leader. He's not part of Yadav Yechezes. He's not struggling with Esav. This is a state of his of transformation. Sometimes a person is in a position <coughs> where they can't wait to have everything cleared up. Sometimes you have emotions that are very, very difficult or instincts that are extremely toxic. If the person waits till everything is cleared up, they may lose the victor, they may lose the battle immediately. At this point, it's fine to say, I'm in a state of iskafia. Iskafia is a great thing. Iskafia means, I don't want, but I'll do it anyway. Or I want to, but I won't do it anyway. I, these emotions are flaring, are blazing in you. There's a hot, a hot passion in you, and you don't feel what the right thing is. That's fine. You don't have to feel. You don't have to worship every feeling, every emotion. You could let it be without the need to obliterate it in order to pursue your true values of life. Sometimes we make a mistake and we think that freedom means that everything has to be cleared up in my internal system in order for me to pursue my values. That's not true. That's already a state of ishapcha. That's a very lofty state. I mean, if you can get there, God bless you. But the Jewish people are not only called Yisrael, we're also called Yaakov. There's two names, Yaakov and Yisrael. Yaakov is, I'm not there. I'm in a state of I'm holding on to the heel of Esav and I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my identity. Who am I? Who am I not? What do I want? What I don't want? And still, I can pursue what is true. I can pursue what is important. I can pursue my value and it's genuine. And the reason it's genuine is because I'm not lying. I'm not saying I don't have any paradoxes in me. I don't have any toxicity in me. I don't have any addictions in me. I don't have any demons in me. I have. Alpha PK. That's the state of Iskafia. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept because sometimes people wait for the impossible. And they, uh, they hold on to setting themselves free until everything is cleared up. Not everything gets cleared up in this world. So that's the Pchina of Yaakov. The Pchina of Yisrael is Ishabcha. Generally, it's a difference of Shabbos in the weekdays. The Pasuk says in Parshas Bolok, he does not see iniquity in Jacob, nor toil in Israel. Yaakov, there could be an element of oven, iniquity. In, in Yisrael there's no oven, there's omol, there's toil. It's two different states of the Jew, two different states of life. Iskafia and Ishapcha. It's the machloikas in the Gemara between Rebbe Gamliel and Rebbe Lazar. Remember the Gemara in Baruchas, Dav Chav Ches, where Ram Gamliel was the leader of the Sanhedrin, the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, he had a rule. Call me she'ain toichei kebarai, lo yekonis lo Somebody whose inside is not like his outside, he doesn't go into the Beis Medrash. Beis Medrash is not made for weak people. Beis Medrash is made 
for people whose inside and outsides are completely consistent with each other. And then Rebbe Gamliel was dethroned. Because of a whole story with Rebbe Yeshua, they dethroned Rebbe Gamliel. They said it's too much. Uh, so what happened was Abelazah ben Azayah, the new Nasi, the new president, so to speak, the new spiritual leader of the Supreme Court of the Sanhedrin in the city of Yavna. This is generations after the Churban, the Churban generation after the Churban Bayesheni, Chachma Yavna. He opens up the doors for everybody. He says there's no... Uh, what? No restrictions. He opens up... That day, many new cheers, many new benches were added to the base Medrash. Hundreds, there's two girses, 400, 800, hundreds of new students came in. The doors were open, a do- open door policy. Before the base Medrash was Mamash, a restricted place. Open enrollment. That's much more than Mitzayonim. Mitzayonim, a person has a good IQ, he goes into the base Medrash, they take him in. Here it's not Sastikl Svara, it's Toiche Kebara. The inside is like the outside. And the Arizal Taich's Toiche Kebara is. Toichai is tov vav chavav. Toichai, tov vav chavav. Kibaroi is chav beis reish vav. Okay. So if you took, take a look at it, both have the letters chavav in them. Chavav is the numerical value of Hashem's name. Yud k vav k is twenty six, but there's a difference. Kibaroi, where is the chavav? The chav is the first, and the vav is the last. It's on the outside. Toichai, where is the chavav? On the inside. Kebari means it's chava, but it's on the outside. Ain't <laughs> The inside is not like the outside. I want God in the inside and on the outside. Rebbe Lezer changed the policy. Rebbe Lezer ben Azai, everybody comes in. So Rebbe Gamliel had a dream. He felt horrible. He said, perhaps I'm the one. Manati I basically stopped Torah from this. I didn't allow the Jews to learn Torah. And he had a dream that comforted him. And the Gemara says, Velohi, it wasn't even a real dream. It was just to make him feel good. Rebbe ben Azayah, his policy was right. What was the Machloikas? The Gemara says, V'afrem gamliel loimona atzma v'beis ha-medrash. That's the end. Rebbe gamliel also came into the beis medrash <laughs> He was dethroned, but he spent the whole day in beis medrash That's uh, you see, was uh, a right? Usually, uh, you go make your own beis medrash Rebbe gamliel was teichik about it. Yeah, no, not the Nal. Yaakov is not the Nal. Yaakov is a very healthy person. He's aware of the fact that life is a duality. He had a fight with the Malach, no? I think that what's the mechanism that Yaakov employs? The mechanism that Yaakov employs is that he is aware where the struggle is coming from. And he chooses not to define that struggle as the totality of his existence. And he can identify his... I don't know if he's rising above it, but... He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of it. He almost respects it. said before that he quarantines it. Quarantines in the sense, not of repression. Quarantine in the sense that he gives it its place. Compartmentalizes it. Not even compartmentalizes it. He's not a compartmentalized person in the sense that he's broken. He doesn't let it get in his way. Yeah. It is what it is. So he goes around it. 
Yeah. Is that true to say? And, he, and even more than that, he realizes it's part of his journey. I'll never figure it. If you put any adjective, you are You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just using that term. You're right. But I'm trying to understand the mechanism. He's aware of it, and yet he He's aware. He continues his journey. Yeah. He doesn't allow that emotion, or that thought, or that instinct. Yes, yes, yes. In the classic example, you're driving a car, you're by the steering wheel, and you have a backseat driver who says, take the light, take the light, take the light. Right? You say, you can't take the light. I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to kill you. Take the light. Don't be a coward. Take the light. So what do you do? You can't throw him out of the car. If you could throw him out of the car, it would be nice. Yes. Take. Uh, I'm a Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Sorry. Take the light means you take the light. You steal the light. Even better. Catch the light. Sell it. Sell it if you can. Run the light. Run the light. Whatever you can do. Right. That's the animal of XC you speak about. Yeah, so you, you come to, you tell your animal soul, you say, listen, I got you. I can't throw you out of my car. I'm married to you. You know when you're married to a backseat driver? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I can't get, we're in the car for life. Baruch Hashem. Okay, let's just make it work. Let's make it work. So you will sit in the car, you will tell me what a horrible driver I am, but I'm not giving you the steering wheel. I'm still holding on to the steering wheel. I will decide where we go. I, this guy is screaming in the back seat, you don't know how to drive, you're an idiot, let me... Thank God I'm by the steering wheel, not you. That's when he crashes. Then there's a state of his hapcha. Reb Gamliel was from Beis David, Reb Gamliel was a yid from Geula, Reb Gamliel held Phyllis Arvis' chayva, that's the whole Gemara there. Reb Gamliel holds Toichik about it, has to work together, the inside, the outside... Gamliel is a, in a, mis, a very a utopian spiritual state. Rebbe ben Azari says it doesn't work that way. These are the two states, Iskafia versus Ishapcha. One is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, one is, one is the Gula Hasida. Like we learned, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is Bechipazayim. They had to run from themselves. The Gula Hasida is like Bechipazayim. That's the Bechina of Iskafia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's teaching him how to drive. It's transforming him. You create full peace in the system. The Chiddush is that even in the world of Ram Gamliel, there's value to the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Yitzhiyas Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is even La'asid Lavi because even La'asid Lavi, there's still a value in Iskafia. Iskafia has a very precious dimension to it. Ishabcha is, of course, beautiful. But there's something unique about Iskafia. There's something very noble and honorable about Iskafia. Because, huh? Well, everything is relative, yeah. 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 came to the Tzamech Tzedek once and he said, Rebbe, the Chabnish can cheshek learner. I don't like learning. So he said, Petach. Petach in Yiddish was an endearing expression of like, my, my fool. But it was like endearing. Petach. I have the problem, not you. I do love learning. You don't love learning, that's awesome. You can take and learn, you can have a relationship. It's an avoida. I, I love learning, that's my issue. He says, Petach. 
Sometimes Iskafi, in other words, what he's trying to say is that Iskafi has a nobility all of its all its own. It's the nobility of having the courage to be able to steer at your abyss and choose not to fall into it. That's a yeah. yeah. There was a philosopher who once said, "When you steer into the abyss, the abyss steers back at you." Right. When you steer into the abyss, it steers right. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. It steers right back into you. Meaning you fall into it. In other words, you fall into it. When you steer into the abyss, the abyss steers into you, and all of life becomes despair. The courage of this person is he could fall into his abyss, but he does not. He does not. He lets it be. He even has a certain, I would say, carefully, the word respect. I don't mean respect in the sense that he respects it, that he puts it on a pedestal, he but he respects it means he knows its boundaries, he knows and he doesn't wait for it to get out of his life in order to live. Grudging respect. Yes. It's like almost, yes, this is my journey. And it's, it, it's a beautiful journey because I could make choices in this journey. I'm not enslaved by the journey. That's an amazing idea, really an amazing, very amazing idea because people often wait to get rid of this in order to start living. It doesn't work that way. That's Iskafi, that's the Pchina of Yaakov. And then there's Ishapcha. Ishapcha means metamorphosis, transformation, complete alignment. And there are such moments in life as well where there's, there's clarity, there's transparency. There's no fragmentation, there's no duality, there's no war and battle and conflict. It's a state of Ishapcha. You may have it once in ten years. It's a moment, a moment of harmony, a moment when, when everything comes together. Huh? The Moilad. The Moilad, I guess. Yeah, the Moilad, right. Yichud Shimshavasiara. The Zayar calls them out Yichud Shimshavasiara, the intimacy of the sun and the moon. Yeah. And then you don't see it because it's one. Anything that's one, you don't see. So that's the Pchina of Torah and Mitzvah needs Yisrael and it needs Yaakov. Without that, Torah and Mitzvah can't access the light of the Divine. It's not the Torah and the Mitzvah itself. It's the Gavra behind the Torah and Mitzvah. It's the Skafia behind the Torah and the Mitzvah. It's the Ishapcha behind the Torah and the Mitzvah. That's the Eish Oichla. That's the Oichla. If there's no Oichla, there's no Eish. If there's nothing being consumed, there's no Eish. There's no Eish of Hashem. Something has to be consumed in Torah. Torah has to consume something. Who? The person. The person is not getting consumed in the Torah. The person is not getting consumed in the mitzvah. It's not a Torah mitzvah. It's not an Eish Oichla. Oichla. Somebody has to yield. Something has to give way. There has to be a, a, a dent in the person. There's some emotional dent in the person's consciousness. It has to eat something up in me. If nothing was eaten up, if I remain unscathed, unmoved, untouched, what's missing is the Eish, the Eish, the dimension of Eish Oichla. So what does he gain by introducing Yaakov and Yisrael here? That there's two modes, there's two modes of the Oichla. Two modalities. One is the Oichla of Eskafia, and one is Eshapcha. What allows Eidus and Torah to be established in this world is that it has a Yaakov to hold on to, or Yisrael to hold on to. Svasemis writes, the Gemara says in Menachas, Tfilin Tzrichin Guf Naki. 
tefillin need a clean body. Literally, it means it's a halacha that when you're wearing tefillin, your body has to be clean. If a person is in a state where they can't, you know, they can't contain their body's uh, bodily needs, physical needs, so then they shouldn't put on tefillin at that time. In terms of letting out air, in terms of going to the bathroom, etc. Svasema says, if so, the Gemara should have spoken as it said what it usually says. Speak to the person. The Gemara attributes it to the Tefillin. The Tefillin needs a clean body. He says the Gemara is saying something even deeper. <coughs> Not just my body has to be clean when I put on Tefillin. No. He says Tefillin, the chefts of the Tefillin, Tefillin needs the guf of a yid. The guf of a Jew is a holy guf. It's a pure guf. The Tefillin needs it. If you take a pair of tefillin, you write it, it's holy, you put it on a table, what is it? It's a pair of tefillin on a table, there's no tefillin here, there's no mitzvah tefillin. For tefillin to become a mitzvah of tefillin, it's only one way. The tefillin adorns my body, adorns your arm, your head. Why? He says the tefillin needs the guf naki, it needs the purity of a Jewish body. It needs the purity of a guf. The guf of a Jew is holy, it says in Zoyar, guf of the lohen kadisha. Not like those who love to, de- to, to discriminate against the body and say that the body is, is evil and disgusting and horrible and should be rejected. The Zayah says, Gufa de Lohen Kaddish, the Guf is Kaddish. Guf Naki, it's a pure body. So again, you have the Tefillin, but the Tefillin doesn't become an Eish, it doesn't become an Eir Hashem. Yes, from just a Chefz of Kedusha to a Mitzvah. Yes, it, 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 it has the parashis of Tayyadeh, whatever, it has a lot of Kedusha in it. But it turns it into the mitzvah tefillin <coughs> that becomes Ratzin Hashem. Ratzin Hashem is, tefillin on the table is not Ratzin Hashem, it's a holy thing. But there's no Ratzin Hashem happening. You put on the tefillin, something magical happens. Why? What happened? It went onto my body. The tefillin now, what didn't only make me grow, I made the tefillin grow. The tefillin helped me, but I also helped the tefillin. We both need each other. Torah and Mitzvahs brings down the light, but Torah and Mitzvahs needs the Jew, Eish Oichla, the Bittel Aratzen of the Jew, the experience of the Jew in Torah and Mitzvahs, to be able to have it. So therefore, you need the Oichla, that which, that which experiences the experience of being consumed in the process. There's a diary I once read of the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. His father, known as Rebbe Rashab, once visited an art gallery in Paris. This is the late 1800s or the early 1900s. It was an art gallery display of pieces of art by Raphael. His son writes this. His son writes that his father who was a Rebbe at the time. He was in, 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 in Europe, in, 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 in Paris. He traveled from Russia. And he went to visit an art gallery by Raphael. And he described three paintings. And he described all three paintings. One was a painting of a war zone, a battlefield. If you know how the ancient artists used to depict battlefields, quite intense. 
One was a court case, a court case with a plaintiff and a defendant, a judge and a jury. And the third was a farm. Raphael depicted a farm. He describes all the three paintings at length in this diary, but there's one fascinating detail in the story. He said his father, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, is standing and analyzing, studying this painting. It's a farm. It's the time of harvest of grain. It's a grain farm, meaning the stalks, the stalks of grain, wheat, barley, spelt, oats, rye, are in full stature. They have grown to full maturity. So you have tall, erect stalks of grain, soon to be harvested. You could see in the painting that the weather is a beautiful weather. It's one of those perfect days, you know, those equinox days, where everything is even. There's a perfect equilibrium in the climate and in the weather. You could just see it in the painting, you know, that, that, that subtle breeze is there, not too cold, not too humid. And there is a bird, a bird with one leg standing, couching on one of those stalks of grain. And people were amazed by the authenticity of the painting, how real, how vivid, how dramatic. And uh, there were chachamim gedolim, he says, uh, connoisseurs, art experts, who were standing and analyzing. And a peasant walks by, a simple peasant, like a farmer walks by. He didn't have time for the museum. You know, I would say probably his wife slept him there to feel cultured. He walks by, he runs by, he takes a look, he says, eh, narishkeit. What a stupid painting. So they all look at this guy in such disdain. This peasant is coming to say Mavinus on Raphael's painting. They, they dismissed him. But he said one, one expert was curious. Because farmers sometimes have wisdom. And he chases him. And he calls him back. He says, why did you dismiss the painting as rubbish? He says, you could see that man did not live on a farm. He knows nothing about farming. They say, why, why? He says, look, you have a stalk of grain. It's fully erect. There's a bird with its leg on it. It has to bend. <coughs> it has to bend. If there's a bird on it, it can't stand erect. Something has to give way. It has to be indented a little bit. Bent a little bit. He says, you can't have both together. Obviously, this is fake. This is rubbish. This is not real. And he goes away. So the Rebbe said, he learned Tazoi. If Yiddishkeit is emes, there has to be a dent. If it's a true picture, if it's a true reality, it has to penetrate. If the person stands fully erect in their full pompous arrogance, unmoved, there's no dent, there's no penetration, he says it's not emes, it's a painting. It's a fake painting. If it's an authentic experience, something has to change in you. If nothing changes in you, then it's not an experience. That's the pshat. If it's an eish, something is being burnt. Something is being consumed. I can't be in an eish, and the eish is burning, and I remain completely as I was yesterday, intact. This episode experience, something has to burn. The eish has to eat something up. How do you know that there's an eish? If something is being eaten. If nothing is being eaten, you know there's no air. It's a painting of a fire. 
It's a picture of a fire. It's not a fire. If there's a fire to be present now, something has to be eaten up. If it was eaten up yesterday, the fire won't be existing today. That's the simon. Right? That's the simon that it's an ish. Something is being oichla right now. If not, there's no fire. I can't create a fire today based on a fire yesterday. Something has to be oichla today. Uh, they love saying at conferences that Jews are Ur Lagoyim. Right? What does Yeshaya Navi say? Ur Lagoyim Nesaticha. A light unto the nations. I know it's not a Munsi expression that much, but uh, in some other communities, Ur Lagoyim. Jews are a light unto the nations. What's Pshat your light unto the nations? Pshat Ur Lagoyim. How do you become a light unto the nations? For this you need a fire. This is before Thomas Edison. Shai was before Thomas Edison, I think. For this you need a fire. Yeah. How do you have a fire burning? Something has to be burnt up in me for the fire to burn. What happens if I take a picture of a fire and I put it on my wall? That's not a fire. There's no Eish Eichla. So Erle Goyim is not Pshat. Some people, they want to take a picture put it on the wall and say we're a light unto the nations. It doesn't work that way. For something to burn, for something to burn, something has to be consumed in me. What has to be consumed? Something. Something. Something in my life, in my experience, in my consciousness, in my emotions, in my addictions, in my instincts, in my habits. Something has to be consumed in order to experience God. There's no divine experience without an Eish Eichla. And that's why you will never be able to have an experience of Kedusha if something is not being consumed. If something is not being taken in the process. Everything else is just robotic. It's just monotonous. It's just the culture. It's just repeating what we did yesterday, day before. There's no fire. There's no new fire. It's a picture of an old fire. It's a great painting. But if the bird is really on a stalk of grain, it's not, it's not erect. It's not become a skufa. Something has to give way. Somebody has to yield. Eish That was the motion of Yeah, yeah. That he That he was full of machshav azaris. And it's, it's not being fully eaten up. He's not being fully consumed by the fire. That's the model of Iskafia. The model of Iskafia is Hasne Boya Ba'esh. It's a real fire. There's a part of me that's not being consumed. Why? The fire should eat me up. So we have to say that for there to be a divine experience, yeah, for there to be a divine experience of Iskafia. Exactly, that's the Chiddush of the Degel Machin Afrayim. Iskafia is also Oichla. Oichla doesn't mean I have to be consumed completely. Oichla means if I could tell my instincts, you're not getting the steering wheel, that's Oichla. They were consumed, they were misbattled, they gave, they gave in, they, they, they were challenged. They, they have a den, they're like, okay, wow. That that's oichla. That's a serious oichla. Same as we said by kivorach on. Yeah, kivorach. Yeah, that's the kivorach. That's his kafia. Perek gimel, daf chavav amud aleph. See, that's page fifty-one on the top. It should say achare.
take away my Novi here. It's a nice word from Rabbi Shemesh and Rafal Hirsch, no? Right. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful word. Especially for young people. Thank you. Okay, you see Dav Chavav Amud Aleph. Um, I'm sorry, Dav Chavav Amud Beis. I mean, Chavav Column 2 is the right way of saying it. Line starts Al Posik Abayim Yashrish. How many lines from the top? Uh, like from Peri Gimel, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 lines. Vihine, there's a period. Vihine, I de Gimel Dvarimela. After explaining the second meaning of Eish Eichlaha, that the fire of Brennan, it has to consume something. Right? When the bird is standing on the stalk, it has to <laughs> bend. There has to be some bend some impact, some penetration. And that's why Torah mitzvahs, the Ur Hashem is totally in the Jew, either in the state of Eskafias, Habcha, Yaakov, Yisrael. So, these three dimensions of Judaism, Tfilah, Machshava, Torah, Dibur, Tzedakah, Maisa, which basically bring forth the divine infinity into our world. Let's remember, Aish naturally fire the parts. You need the wick and you need the logs. The wick is small and it creates a small flame, but a subtle flame. The logs are big and dense and brute and they create a large flame, but a more coarse flame. Tefillah is very subtle. Machshave, kavone. It's not noticeable. It's a subtle flame, but it's a very deep one. Just like in the brain, you have everything going on. Maisa HaMitzvahs, is more physical, more technical. It's like the logs. Creates a different type of flame. But all of them hold down the Eir Hashem, sustaining all of the universes. That's what Torah Tfilitz are. Literally, it's the axis upon which the world revolves, the world rotates, and the world really stands, the foundation of it. Because the Dvar Hashem naturally seeks to go back to its source. That's the natural inclination. And what sustains it, what keeps it down, what keeps it invested in finiteness, which is essentially unbecoming or unsuitable. It's not reflective of its source. It's words that are peasant-like words. It are the three dimensions of Yiddishkeit. Torah, Avoidig, So he says, through these three things, even though you may ask, 
What's the power of these elements? You're learning Torah, or davening, or tzedakah. It's all things that became enclosed in physical matters. Mitzvahs deal with physical items. Tzedakah is money, trum is grain, maizris is, is fruits and vegetables, dikas chametz matzahs is food, filling is hide of, a, of animal. The same is true even Torah, he says. Seichel when you're learning Torah, you have to use your human mind. You're using your human rationale. That's how we learn. That's how we understand. That's how we innovate. We use our human mind. Seichel He says, that's true. But I'll zen nemar on this. There's a posik In Hosheya, the prophet Hosheya. Perik, Yudalot posik tes. Ani kivrosh ra'anon. I am like a, a, a vrosh ra'anon. Let me quote you the posik that I opened up here. Ephraim Mali Oidla Tzabim Ani Anisi Vashirenu Ani Kivroshranan Mimeni Perichanimtsa. Ephraim, what more do I need these images of the idols? I will answer them and I will look upon them. I am like a leafy cypress tree. Ani Kivroshranan Ranan is Ranan. Uh, refreshed, leafy, alive, vibrant, vital. Gvroish am a a cypress tree. Mimeni perichanimtsa. From me, your fruit is found. This is what the pasuk means. He, in Hosea, ani kivroish ranan. I am that leafy, vibrant cypress tree. Pidush, vroish. The word vroish in Tanakh in Lashon Kodesh, who erez dak. He calls it here an erez, which is usually translated as a cedar. An erez dak. A thin cedar. What's the uniqueness of this tree? Why does he call it vroish, which is an eris dak, a thin cedar? Because you could take the top, lakuf vroish, you could take the top of it, and you could bend it down till the source, till the root. The ikr is the bottom of the tree, the root of the tree. You know, it's like a kid's game, right? And then when you... Uh, Bing, you let it go. He know and somebody is sitting on it, of course, because that's the game. Shabbos afternoon, when you're bored. He picks up that which was placed on it when it was bent, so therefore it came down very low. If it would have stayed up there, a cedar is tall. But now I bend it down. That's why he says eres dak. So you should be able to bend it down all the way. Now you sit down on it, right? And we go, bunk! And now this thing, or this person, or this object is raised all the way down, that's the uniqueness of a brosh, this thin cedar. We already have this story in Svarim, in the story of Yoyov, in Rabbas B'nayama. And here the Balatanya is referring to a radak, there's a Radak, Rabbeinu David Kimchi, one of the Rishonim who wrote a commentary on the Tanakh. And in Shmuel, in Shmuel Beis, there is a story of David HaMelech conquering Yerushalayim, which belonged to the Yevusi. David was a king for 40 years, the Pasuk says. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. But there was a reason he was in Hebron. Jerusalem did not belong to the Jewish people. It became the capital through David HaMelech. And later, of course, the Makam HaMikdash. The Makam Ha'arin, the Makam Ha'amidr, but David had to get it from the Yavusim. He never got it from the Yavusim. So David took his commander-in-chief, who happened to be his nephew, Yoyov, the son of Tzri, who was his sister, 
and it was it was impossible to get into the territory because there was a huge fortress and a huge migdal, a huge tower called a tsinar. They called it a tsinar, which was a huge, huge tower. If we're lucky, we have a small base. Oh, Gewaldik. Gewaldik. Oh, Shmuel, Beis, Perik Hay. Perik Hay. So David says to his people, he says, Whoever could strike the Yavusi and get up to the top of that tower, which was almost impossible. David says his reward will be extraordinary. He will become the prince, the minister of the Jewish people. And what happens? Yoyav and Shruya does it. How does he do it? How does he do it? So the Radak says as follows. I'm going to quote the Radak. Shmuel Beis, Perik Hei, Posik Ches. Hei viu ilon shal They brought a cedar. V'kafafuaysa. They bent it down. V'kafatz Yoyav. Yoyav got down on it. And David went, boom. V'ola b'roysha And he got to the top. Ma'asa Yoyev, he took a brush echad ran on a fresh leafy tree which was still uh, soft. He put it on the side of the wall. He bent down the branch because it was soft. V'achaz by David. David held him. V'kafatz Yoyev ha-roish shal David v'nitle be-brosh. He hung on the branch v'dilig al-achayim and he got up to the chayim. What's, what's the person you said? Catapult. Ani kivroish ran and catapult. Hosea. Hosea, Perik. 14.9. 14.9. And Lenny discovered yesterday that in the websites that are not Jewish, it's not 49. 14.8. That's one of the distortions. I will add a classic later. Okay. So, what's the significance of this? Now understand, this is how Yerushalayim is captured. Yerushalayim is our capital. It's the center of the world, we learned before. Place of the Beis Hamikdash, the place of the Shekhinah. How was it conquered? Through this cedar tree, through a branch that comes down and you go flying up, and you reach to a height that you couldn't climb up on your own. Remember the technology at that time? This was the technology, how you can reach such heights. This was how to do it. And it was also a very fun Shabbos afternoon oh, scary, sport. Yeah. And maybe scary too. Maybe you have a helmet on, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe you did have a helmet. What's the significance of this? What's the significance? So God, Hashem, the Rebbe Nishlam, tells a Jew, Ani You see me? I'm that tree. <laughs> I'm that tree. Just like this branch of the cedar, I also completely come down. By bending his koima, his full stature. What does this branch do? This branch is this tree. He says it was dak. The reason it was dak, it had to be soft. If not, you can't bend it. And you take it and you compromise, you minimize, you belittle it. You bend it down all the way to the earth where I could climb onto it. But really, I come from a much higher place. I came down, but I'm really from a much higher place. And therefore, when I get sit on this branch, I now allow myself to be uplifted through it to heights that I on my own would have never be able to experience. The Gemara says, Ha'aren noisei es noisav, right? The Aaron would carry its carriers. You think you're carrying the Aaron? It's really carrying you. Some things, when you carry them, you get carried with them much more than you're carrying them. They're carrying you. So as I attach myself to this branch, it lifts me to a place 
where I cannot reach. But the reason it could lift me is because it came down to my space where I could enter. So Hashem says, this is, this is who I am. Ani kivreish rana. I am that version. So in other words, you're learning a shtikl It seems like you're dealing with very physical ideas. You're learning about matters that deal with physical, the physical world, things that you can understand. That's the Brayshran, and it's divine energy that bent itself down, that, that humbled itself to come into things that people could sit on, people can grasp, people can do. That's the stories of Torah, the stories of Tanakh, all of the halachas, all of the mitzvahs, whether it's in thought or in words or in, th- or in action. And now you go boom, and it allows the soul to experience higher and higher elevation to become part of the light of the infinite one and his soul is bound up in the bound of life with God because and that's why Yerushalayim is taken through that experience because Yerushalayim is the place of Kedusha it's the ultimate center place of holiness and how is Yerushalayim taken by David HaMelech through that experience something that seems Yerushalayim is basically the epicenter where heaven and earth meet. It's the point where the spiritual and the physical converge into one. Shamayim and Eretz become one. What's the process? The process is the cedar tree. Anikiv Reish which is very high, and it comes down low, allowing the person to reach great heights, allowing earth to touch heaven, allowing man to touch the divine. How can man touch the divine? By definition, there's an infinite gulf between the two. How can there be a hiskashus? How can there be a relationship between finite and infinite? The answer is, Torah and Mitzvah was basically God's medium of articulating His truth in concepts and actions that relate to you, the human experience. That's the ultimate value, and therefore it allows the person who connects to that brochrana, to that branch, to be able to be uplifted to the source of Torah and Mitzvah. Because the source of the Torah is really very, very lofty beyond human intellect. And the source of the mitzvah is beyond that which the human can grasp. But it was compressed, it came down in a way that we could relate to it. As a result of that, we sit down on it and we get uplifted in that process. You get uplifted to be able to touch the truth of Eirein Saif. The truth of Eirein Saif Baruch Hu. Well, it's, it's not, we're not getting uplifted. And we, of course we are, but God is talking about Himself getting uplifted. No, well, no. you sit down on the branch, and then as the branch goes the back God up, God brings yes. you up. Yeah, but the, the tree is connected to the ground. You say that also, that the, that's connected to the ground, just its head is up. If you're saying that God is the, you know, the brush, the tree... No, in other words, he's using it as a marshal, that it's something very, very high, but it comes down, <laughs> he bends down his kaima. That's what Bria Sa'ilam is, and that's what Torah Mitzvah is. Today, to give the Nefesh an opportunity to be able to have Dvekas in Ein Saif. So God's being uplifted, and we're going along for the ride, literally. Yes. But God's mavatling himself. So, so to we speak, can be uplifted. He renounces God. his infinity. Right. In other words, Alpi Yashras, Alpi Seichel, we shouldn't be able to understand Torah. Leis Machshavet Nobody could grasp him. Just like you don't know what Hashem is, what he looks like, what he thinks. Torah is his wisdom. Mitzvahs are his will. We say this in Ashrei in the morning. There's no inquiry. There's no inquiry. We shouldn't be able to understand it. We shouldn't be able to do it. The answer is, 
He took his infinite will, he took his infinite wisdom, and he compressed it, so to speak. Like the Barosh Ramam. He compressed it, he articulated it into finiteness. That we can relate to Torah. You could learn Torah. You can understand Torah according to your level. You can understand the stories of Torah. You can understand the halachas of Torah. You can understand the pulpulim of Torah. You can understand Torah. But what is it really? It's not a pesasvara. It's really infinite wisdom compressed in finiteness. The same is true of mitzvah. I know what a mitzvah is. I can do a mitzvah. I could build a sukkah. I could shake a lulav. I could put on tefillin. I can give tzedakah to a poor person. I know what it is. I take a quarter. I give it to the poor person. I did a mitzvah. But what did you do? What does it do? It's a whole different... Because it's really infinite. Infinity being expressed in the finite. And that's why in Torah, you know, usually you read a book once, twice, three times, five times. Even if it's a very deep book, you master it. You got it. How many times can you read it? When it comes, for example, to Apostle Chumash, Aplat Gemara, Perik Mishnais, whatever it is, in Torah, you could read it 300 times. And there's still something new every time. Why? Because it's not finite. It's infinity that looks finite. So therefore, as much as you scratch the sur- as much as you go into it, you only scratch the surface. The Baal Shem Tev once said, the Pasuk says, Torah Hashem Tmima. The Torah of Hashem is complete. What does that mean? So he said, Ka'adam I'll compare it to a birthday cake. Imagine a birthday cake that's been eaten for 3,300 years, but when you look at it, it was untouched. Still fresh. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. We're nibbling on it for 3,000 years. You know what the cake looks like after 3,000 years? It's a garnish geblibbing, right? If you come five minutes late to the Kiddush, nothing is left, right? At least the good herring and the good cake. Yeah, you come 3,300 years late to the Kiddush. So the Baal that that Fatoris Hashem Tmima, it's untouched. It's like everything was untouched. What, what's that mean? What do you mean? You know how much the Jews learned and what they did to that poor Torah? Still virgin territory. And they're still busy. It's still virgin territory. No krats. Not even a dent. Why? The pshat is, I'll tell you why. If you have a bank account, and in the bank account you have $350 million. Anybody? The Bazil. The cut of mamash. $350 million. Mizuman. Not, not pledges. Mizuman. Cash. Okay. And I go into your bank account, and I make a check. For, you give me you make a check for ten dollars. It's not going to be that noticeable, but there's a difference. And if every minute you take out another ten dollars, slowly but surely it's going to be depleted. You know why? Three hundred and fifty million dollars is a lot more than ten, but ultimately it's made up of many tens. And even a hundred billion dollars, if you give away one dollar, it's less. Why? Because it's made up of ones, many ones, but ones. What happens, theoretically speaking, if you have an infinite bank account? You could take and take and take and take and take, and how much did you deplete? Zero. Zero. In other words, when you reach a billion, you didn't get any closer to the end than when you were at one. And when you reach a trillion, you still didn't get any closer, because you're dealing with infinity. Teres Hashem is Tmima. You could take and take and take and take and take and take, and you talk, and it's good, it's Kishmak, but you didn't take. He didn't take. It's Tmima. The cake wasn't touched. Not even a scratch. Why? Because it's not finite. It's infinite. You're dealing with pure infinity that came down. It bent down. It 
God allowed himself to be subjected to gravity. <laughs> he said, I'll come down. Why? Because I want a relationship with you. And if I want a relationship with you, it has to be on your terms. It can't be on my terms. The whole point is a relationship. A relationship has to be on your terms. So infinity has to become finite. That's what Torah mitzvahs are. But what is it? It's infinity. It's not finite. The place of the Aaron is a place, and it's also beyond place, because that's what the Aaron represents. I don't need to understand how God is connecting to me. All I need to know how I connect to God. But that's the Havon of what Torah is. So that's why I could learn a Blad Gemara, and learn it a hundred times, and learn it three hundred times, and I still didn't learn it. I learned it! I know it! But I didn't learn it. You see it with Chumash, you could read again and again. It's a new thing, a new insight, and it doesn't end. Because you're not, let's see, what are they doing in Ganeidin for three, what is Moshe and Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov doing in Ganeidin for three and a half thousand years? Can you imagine? What are they doing? There's no Kiddush, no Malava Malkus, no websites, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Cyberspace. Do that. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> what do they do there all day? the <laughs> Yeah. You ever wonder? <laughs> so in the Gemara is Ganeidin, they learn Torah. What do they learn? What, what they, they're very finished, probably, a few Shia Mashasim. Yeah? They learn more. But the truth is that this is a very primitive question. Because we always speak from a place of finiteness. In the world of infinity, the question is not what they do. They're frustrated with how much they can't do. <coughs> with how much they can't do. Interesting thing, I once saw, it was a beautiful answer. I once saw a letter about Shuva. A Jew, he became about Shuva at like 60 years old. Now, go start learning Hebrew at 60. Olive Bays, Davening, Chumash, and then Gemara. Gemara. It's, it's not just difficult. It's, it's very, very difficult. And he was learning and learning, but it was so frustrating for him. So he wrote a letter, so he wrote a letter to Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he expressed how frustrated he is with Torah. Because he feels that he doesn't know anything. So he wrote back to him. He said, I just want to tell you, those who learned their whole life are much more frustrated. <laughs> those who learned their whole life are much more frustrated. <laughs> Words of comfort. That's what he said. When you're frustrated because you, you say, tomorrow I'll know. You're learning your whole life and now you see you really don't know. And the more you know, the more frustrated you are. Because the more you know, the more you're aware of what you don't know and how much you don't know. Because you see the infinity. So he said, and what's the answer to all of these people? You don't have to finish the job, but it doesn't give you an excuse not to start it. You do what you do, and that's, 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 your, that's your mission. That's your goal. In other words, you're working for somebody. You don't have to ask, you know, if I... You're working, you're doing what you have to do. So that's the concept of Teres Hashem Tmima, that it really, the Erez is Belavon in Yizge. It's very, very tall. But it comes down to be able to allow somebody to sit down on it and get uplifted. And this was the mechanism to be able to make Yerushalayim a Jewish city. How do you turn earth into heaven, which is Yerushalayim? You turn earth into heaven through this process. That's why he brings the story of David HaMelech. 
because it's a whole new Havana. You turn earth into heaven through the process of realizing that the divine had to come into earthiness in order to be able to elevate us to heaven. That's the essence of all Torah Mitzvahs. That's what it really is. That's what it is. There's a Peladik in Medrash. It says in Medrash, Rabbi Parshas Vayera, why were we Zoichet to Mitzvah Sukkah? You know why? Beschus that Avram Avinu told his three guests, Vihishanu Tachas Ha'etz. In Parshas Vayera, he has three Bedouin guests. I don't know, Bedouin. Three, uh, they told us, Araber. Whatever that means. Denai Araber. Huh? Yeah? Okay. Fadiva Zagin Yaitzis, they know it. And those who know Pirish Hamilis of Yaitzis, is Eicha Madrege. Beschus Avramavinu told the three angels, the three guests, Hishan Utachasait, recline under the tree. So the Rebbeinu Shalaylam said, I'm going to give you a special mitzvah. Which mitzvah? Mitzvah Sukkah. Seven days a year, eight days a year, you're going to hang out under the tree, under the schach. That's the Madrash. Chayra, very big shayla here. If everybody knows the Mishnah Masech the Sukkah, Sukkah Tachas Ha'ilon, Kilo Asab Chabayis, a Sukkah under a tree is like a Sukkah in the house. The Schach has to be detached, disconnected. You can't have a Sukkah under a tree. A guy called me 20 minutes before before Lichtenden, Erev Sukkahs. He went to the mountains for Sukkahs. He built a beautiful Sukkah. He goes out. Says, oh, there's a beautiful tree over it. What is he supposed to do? He sent me pictures. We had to figure out a matzav. Ooh. I don't remember. We had to cut something. Yeah, the, 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 yes, yes. His wife didn't agree to that. So what's So the it's explained Eitz is very tall. An Eitz is very tall. But as you say, it's always connected to the earth, to the ground. In fact, if the Eitz says, you know, I want to go a little higher, so therefore I'm going to sever my roots, there's nothing left. It becomes lifeless. Sometimes in life, we have an inclination, we want to sever our roots. Because we don't want to be connected to anything. We want to fly away. And it's beautiful to fly away. But the problem is, when you have no roots, there's nothing to fly anymore. You could call the Hevra Kaddishah because the tree becomes lifeless. So paradoxically, when you sever your roots, you have to know if you're severing yourself from your own roots, or you're severing yourself from another tree's roots. If you're severing yourself from another tree's roots, that's a good thing. If you're severing yourself from your own roots, from your own Sharashim, then you become a lifeless person. So that's a very important idea. The eights always has to be connected to the earth. In fact, it says a different thing, Gdushan Chaylas. Chayl means mundane, unholy, profane. But really Chayl in Tanakh means sand. Kechayl Hayam, the sand. Why is sand the opposite of Kedusha? The answer is because in sand you can't plant. Sand, you know, gone with the wind is the expression. Is You plant something, the wind comes, and the sand... You can't establish. You need offer to create roots. Kedusha is always connected to its roots. The eights. Choyl, you're disconnected to roots. Today I'm this, tomorrow I'm this. I don't have a core. I'm not connected to my own roots. So the tree can go very, very, very high, but one condition. It has to be connected to its roots. 
Sukkah has to be disconnected from its roots. What does this represent? Pre-Matan and after-Matan Pre-Matan man touched God according to his own <coughs> imagination. Avram, Mitzik, and Yaakov didn't have institutionalized religion like we have. They didn't have a siddur to daven with. They had a creative experience. Avram Avinu discovered God. He was like, hey you. They became buddies from Yeshmeyayin. Yeah, he didn't have a father. He didn't belong to a system. Avram didn't come home and he didn't have a father who said, Sapasnish. Where were you by Mincha? Boom, boom, boom. He got pet for something else, for breaking the idols. But not for not showing up to Kriya or not doing well in homework. He was a self-made man on every level. The Gemara has an argument in Brachas. Tefillah. Tefillah is connected Avais Tiknum or Karbonis Tiknum, right? We once explained what's the Machlaikas. It's not stomach, it's a little Machlaikas. Machlaikas is what davening is. For the Avais, davening was spontaneous. You got up and you spoke to God. They went out, they went out to the field and he spoke to God. Karbonis, everything was with a system. There was a uniform, how you did it, what you did, when you do it, a wrong move. It's What's Tefillah? Is Tefillah spontaneous creativity of intimacy? Or is Tefillah institutionalized prayer? Fixed. Huh? Good question, no? Good question. There was once a guy, he had a Chabad house. It was Friday night, he didn't have a minion. He had nine people. So what do you do? He goes outside and he waits for the next carbon chatos, right? <laughs> and... Uh, the guy doesn't know what he's getting into, you know what I mean? Shabbos, Yom before you know it, he's in yeshiva, whatever. So uh, the guy, a guy comes by, he says, excuse me, you're Jewish? He says, yeah. He says, could you do me a favor? We have nine people, it's Friday night, we do the services, we need ten. Could you come in, it'll be fast, 20, 30 minutes, we'll have a nice meal afterwards, of course. The guy says, I'm sorry, I don't believe in organized religion. Chabad Shdeich looks at him and says, do I look organized? (laughs) Do we believe in organized religion or spontaneous religion? That's the question. And the truth is, there's a tremendous virtue in each. We all understand the mile of spontaneity. You're speaking to God. You're not speaking uh, like a robot. Many people's davenings, I mean, we know what davening looks like, especially in our generation. That's why they invented in every shul hundreds of magazines and journals and, and, and newsletters and and this, so nobody should ever be bored. There's always what to read on the table. Okay. Others didn't have this. It was genuine. It was emotional. It was from the core. On the other hand, this, somebody who takes it seriously, the standard of tefillah, yeah, if somebody challenges somebody, challenges somebody, that it, to go beyond his mood, to go beyond his personal experience of the moment. Which one is it? Before Matan Torah, there was only one method of Yiddishkeit, and that is, you connected to the God of your understanding, as they say in 12 steps. You connected to the God of your imagination. That God you could connect to, but it's like a tree. Vosais, it's like a tree. It goes very, very high, but it's still connected to Earth. You are a member of planet Earth. After Matan Torah, what happens is, Uvanovacharta, Matan Torah. They had Torah before also. But the Torah of Matan Torah is, Anikiv Rosh that Hashem came down into the Torah. Infinity came into the Torah and Mitzvahs. Now I connect not only to the God of my understanding, to the God of my imagination. Now I connect to God on His terms. 
I get uplifted to a place of infinity. So therefore, when you talk about sukkah, pre-mat and teda, after mat and it's the same thing, but there's one difference. One is tachas ha'etz, it's still under a tree which is connected to the earth. And then after mat and it's the same reality, but you're not connected anymore to earth. In other words, you're elevated to a place that is even beyond earth. Even beyond the limitations of the terrestrial uh, creature who lives on earth, who lives on planet earth. They say that uh, in Ger, they say an interesting story. Ger, Alexander, the, the Chidush Harim passed away. He was the first Ger Rebbe. He passed away 1866. He didn't have children. Chidush Harim had 13 children, and 12 of them passed away during his lifetime. Wow. Including his son, uh, Avram Mardechai, who would, would have succeeded him. But he had a grandson, a Yosef, the Sfasemis. His name was Rabbi Yehuda Ayyuleib. And he took over, the, he became the second Gary Rebbe. He wasn't a son, he was a grandson. He was only 21 years old. And uh, so it was very hard for the older Gary Chassidim, some were still in Kotsk, Chdusharim was still by the Kotsk, to accept the 21-year-old. Svasemes uh, was a great, great giant. And he became a big Rebbe, he passed away. Tofer Samachay, Hey Shvat, yes, it was the Gary Chassidim, though. Passed away 1805 in Shvat. He was a rebbe for decades, and he built up. He built a huge, uh, huge Hasidic empire. But uh, it was very hard for people. You know, twenty-one, twenty-two. It was. It was a huge of Alexander. <coughs> Henech of Alexander was also a great giant. And they say that he told the older Hasidim. He says, "I'm going to tell you a mice." And he says that there was once a mountain. Let's call it Mount Everest. Whatever, whatever the name of the mountain. He gave a huge mountain. And everybody tried to climb it, and nobody could. People fell and bruised, got bruised and wounded and died. And finally, there was one gibber who said, I'm going to do it. And for months, he worked out. He made himself fit. He got the right gear. He got training. He equipped himself perfectly and impeccably to climb the mountain. And indeed, he scales the heights of the mountain. And he reaches the top. And he's ecstatic. What nobody can achieve, this man achieved. And Rabbi Hennig says he comes to the top of the mountain and he sees a child. <laughs> he sees a child on top of the mountain. <laughs> he can't believe it. He says, I don't understand. I'm the great, I'm the great giver, I'm the great warrior, I made it to the top. How did you get him? He says, you don't understand. I was born here. <laughs> I was born here. So he told the old Chassidim, he says, he was born on top of the mountain, it's fine. doesn't take away. He was born on top of the mountain. Some people are born on top of the mountain. You could accept, you could receive from him. doesn't take away from the fact that you put in decades and decades and decades of work and you climb tall mountains. Sometimes a person is born on top of the mountain. Old money yeah. versus new money. <laughs> old money versus new money. Yes, on one level. In other words, that's a mountain. The top of Mount Everest, maybe you could climb if you know what you're doing. To the top of the Himalayas, perhaps you could climb. But nobody could climb to the moon. Or even lower than the moon. You can't climb to the moon. Why? It doesn't have to do, not because you're not fit, not because you're not strong, and not because you're not disciplined. Because you can reach the top of the mountain. Afterwards, you're in mid-air. You need a spacecraft. You need a vehicle to come and sweep you up and bring you there. So man can reach... Very, very lofty heights, no question. Our brains, our minds can take us to great places. And they need to take us to great places. But they can take us to the top of mountains. 
once I reach the peak of the mountain, I simply don't have the tools to go beyond. Not because I don't want to and not because I'm bad, but I am who I am. Now you need a spaceship to take you. That's already a different experience. That's where ultimately the Balatanya sees the true value of Torah mitzvahs. There were those who saw the value of Torah mitzvahs, they always tried to explain how human it is, how humane, how understandable. In other words, how much it fits into the human imagination. For the Al-Tarebbe, no, that's not the essence of Torah mitzvahs. The essence of Torah mitzvahs is that you reach the ultimate peak of your spirituality. But that's what it is, the ultimate mountain. But above the mountain, you can't touch. By definition, all I can touch of God is the God of my understanding. How? Meditation, mindfulness, spirituality, um, deep self-discipline, awareness, which people do. People do, and they grasp deep spiritual truths of life. There's no question. In fact, sometimes you would hope that people steeped in religion would grasp a little of the spirituality (laughs) that these people grasp. Because they spend a lifetime in self-discovery, honesty, integrity, and spiritual connection. But that's not where the contribution of... It's not Where that ends, Yiddishkeit begins. That's what Torah... That actually... So you're on the top of the mountain. But did you get any closer to the moon? Did you get any closer to the Mars? You're 32,000 miles up. Did you get any closer to infinity? By definition, you can't which really would mean that there's something very sad about it. And that is, by definition, man and the divine could never meet. How could we? It's like trying to pull yourself up with your hair. You ever tried? You ever tried pulling yourself up by your hair? It's not going to work. You know why? (laughs) Because who's pulling you up by your hair? How are you trying to pull yourself up to infinity? Through finiteness, through your mind, through your heart. The tools that you're using are finite tools, so they cannot bring you to a place that is beyond themselves, because they are the ones who are bringing you to that place, so they can only bring you to a place where they are, even though it's a very tall mountain. Anikiv Roshanan. Anikiv Roshanan means that Torah Mitzvah is infinity, compressed itself in finiteness, but it's still infinite. And when you sit down on that branch, so then what happens is there's an experience of Ein Soif which transcends the human intellect, the human experience, the human emotion. That's the uniqueness of Torah Mitzvahs. So therefore, therefore, there's always the types of Svarim that look for reasons for Mitzvahs. What's the reasons? Now, what is it, what's more Geshmak, to have a Mitzvah with a reason, or a Mitzvah without a reason? Depends how you look at it, from which perspective. If the, if, you know, if the goal of the mitzvah is to suit your imagination, then you want mitzvahs with reasons. Because then it's geschmack, you know. Explain it to me. If you understand that the goal of the mitzvah is actually to take you to a place of infinity, then the reason is just, uh, you know, it's just, it's diluting it. It's diluting the wine. So in Yiddishkeit you have different streams. But this is what his nekuda, his, his real nekuda is, that the great value of the mitzvah, the great value of Torah is, that it comes from a place that's far deeper than understanding. That which you don't understand, awesome. This takes you to a place of Ein Saif, of Ein Saif Baruch That's the Anikiv Rosh Rana. So these three things, Torah, Tzedakah, Gemilat, Torah, Avodah, Gemilat, Chzadim, even though they were Nislabish and Gashmias, so how can they hold down the Eish? The answer is, 
they were enclosed in physicality, but it's really Bereshranan, it's really from a place of infinity, and therefore it lifts you up, and therefore the world to that place of Ein Soif. Very This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.